welcome, welcome. This is Talking to the Internet. Today, it is my privilege to have Julia Scott on the show. Julia is a journalist. She's a writer. She's a potter, P-O-T-T-E-R. She's also a potter or a podcast maker. And she does the Make Do podcast, the Chick Flick Fix podcast. And then for those of you that speak Swedish out there, she also does a knitting podcast in Swedish. So Julia, <laughs> thank you. Welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> so Julia, um, you know, I've, I've talked on the show, you know, my goal was to just learn more about you, just, you know, kind of let people a little bit behind the curtain at whatever is appropriate in your mind to let them behind the curtain to, right? So um, it's a motivational thing, right? It's not about how you do the thing, but it's about why you do the thing. So let's go back and let's think about like the very first time you talked to the internet. What did you do? How did you start? What did that look like? So this this is where I immediately feel old because it was in 95 or 96. So this was in the 1900s, <laughs> which when people start saying that. But yeah, no, my it, actually initially my mom got the internet at her work at a university at, at Stockholm University. And I got to try and I was like, oh, this is this is amazing. Not that long after we got the internet at home as well. And we were pretty early on that. Like Sweden tends to be early on innovation in general. Like we were fairly early with like PCs in people's homes and accessible internet. Mm -hmm. uh, and my parents were early within that using personal computers and, and word processing and stuff like that. So we had the internet at home. And at first I, I would use it on my dad's work laptop. And then my brother and I got to share a PC that had the internet. And, you know, things would be so slow that while you were trying to load an image, you would, I would run up and down the stairs just because I was bored while something was loading. Yeah, yeah. So like talking to the internet initially was going into these extremely rudimentary early chat rooms and like some list serves, that kind of thing. And I started making my own websites almost right away and just thought it was fun to to write things. And initially it was, it's fun because initially they were really just a collection of pages of things of like, here are things I like, here are things I've drawn here, you know, whatever. And then not that long after that, you know, I also discovered the first sort of internet communities started appearing both in, in Sweden. Primarily that's where I was at the time. And then when I moved to California, my junior year of high school, I also discovered even more, you know, sort of live journal, diary land, all these different communities that became more and more what we now would call bloggy than was just, you know, an online journal or an online diary. And yeah, I just, I, I loved talking to the internet and then I just never stopped. Yeah. So you, so you started out, you know, you'd said with the sharing things you were doing, what was your what was your reason? Like, why would why did you want to get it out there? Did, were you worried about people seeing it? Were you interested in people seeing it? Were people giving you feedback? Or was it more just like, a, hey, here's this cool thing. I'm going to put things out there and, and just throw it out there. I think, like, initially, initially, it was just kind of like, I can, I can put it out there. And not that many people had the internet initially. So there weren't that many people that could see it. But that also meant that there were things like web rings, you know, where you could have a, a website that would just, you could link sort of randomly or jump forward in a ring of like, you know, 20 or 30 or 40 websites. And that was like, you know, you could, you could almost but not quite write down all the websites that you visited because yeah, yeah. the internet was so small. But then... I liked interacting with people. I liked discussing things. And also because I liked reading things that other people did and thought and, you know, that kind of thing. I'm trying to not make myself sound like I love attention because I kind of do. Uh, but, you know, I mean, like, I just felt like, well, then it's not, it's almost unfair. No, but it's, it's only fair to, because I can, I can then share things that I'm doing and thinking. And it was just, it was fun to write and it was fun to interact and you know show drawings or photographs or whatever and people would would comment or link to things mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so it just kind of kept going and you know I had a lot of different websites about different things um, I had blogs in English and then in Swedish and yeah I can't shut up in real life so my my real life people are probably happy that I found the internet that, well that's funny because it's like you, you know you say about you know I think everybody does it because they have something of value that they want to put out there, right? And they want to have a conversation with people. And those conversations look different, right? Like sometimes those conversations look like you and I talking right now, you know, on two microphones and the internet between us. And sometimes it's more of that static, I throw it out there, people comment, I throw it out there, people respond. 
one of the things that you, you talk about is doing it in two different languages. Was there a difference between what you would do in English and what you would do in Swedish? Well, it, it's kind of like the internet was at the beginning in the sense that Sweden, we're a fairly small, I mean, geographically, we're the size of California, but we have a population now of like 10, 11 million people and even less 25 years ago. So it's a small pool, but it's easier to become a big fish kind of thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Whereas doing things in English, regardless of if it's, if it's blogging or, you know, doing YouTube videos or podcasts, you have the potential to reach a much larger audience because you have not just the English-speaking countries, but most countries do speak English uh, on top of their first languages. But you have a lot more competition. So I think mainly it's it's that. And, and then just logistically, it can be easier to do, like some of the different things that I've done are easier because I can interview people where where they are in meat space like you get a different conversation with someone a lot of the time especially if they are not a podcaster or a radio person mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if you can if you have eye contact so that's yeah. that's maybe the main difference like interviews kind of conversation-y type podcasts are easier to do in sweden in that way but then sometimes you also have to do those digitally i mean the past two years, notwithstanding, sometimes you still have to do them yeah. over the phone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, okay, so you're doing this for you, you know, making your own things, putting them out there. Did it turn into a profession? Did it turn into something you did to pay your bills or has that all been on the side? Well, when I started my Swedish language blog, that was the same time that I started journalism school because I was like, well, it's good to have some sort of internet presence. So this was maybe 2006-2007-ish. And, you know, just to sort of practice writing and just to have a more specific presence online because it's good to, you know, it's it's all that stuff about sort of building a brand, building a presence mm -hmm, kind of mm -hmm, thing. Mm -hmm. And so when I did my first long internship and then got a job at that same TV station, it was, it was handy being able to do HTML because, again, this was 2007, web presences even for bigger companies and bigger sort of media outlets were still simple. So like I could do stuff and that was impressive yes, to, yes, to, yeah. to my bosses. Um, but also because I worked in TV for two years as, as an anchor and a reporter, it was nice to have a blog to keep the writing thing sort of fresh because I did, I wasn't writing. I mean, I was writing scripts to, to read, but it wasn't the same thing. So it was really nice to, you know, respond to things that were going on in the news or that other people were writing about. And I made a lot of friends that way, people who are still sort of, you know, who are my friends who were at my wedding or whose wedding I went to, or, you know, like just people who came into real life as well. So that period of time was almost like a sort of golden age of, of Swedish blogging, I think, because there was a lot of deep thought going on, kind of. It wasn't, it wasn't, I think later... It's because early blogging was a lot of this is what I did today. And then there was a period of a lot more thinky blogs. And I'm not saying either is better, just the way that the patterns were both in Sweden and other parts of the world, I think. And then now we're back to a lot more. This is what I did today. But I'm trying to think because what what happened after that was that people in in journalism knew who I was because of of my blog in some cases. So I got this sort of reputation for knowing stuff about the internet because I had a fairly big-ish blog for a Swedish audience. Mm -hmm. So after that, you know, I've, I've done a lot of freelancing, writing stuff that goes online or in some cases is intended for online. And I've made podcasts for 10 years now, I realized earlier today. Congratulations. That's awesome. Uh, thank you. <laughs> but also, you know, I've, I've produced podcasts for organizations. I've hosted podcasts, you know, for business. So all of the things kind of run together in some ways. So sometimes I've worked with like, you know, training newsrooms in how to use social media for input or for output or worked with explaining things that are going on, going on online to audiences of like morning talk shows. So it's, it's kind of been present in a lot of my work but it's, it's hard to say, like, talking to the internet is often part of my job, but not 
all of my job. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense. So, so some people come on, right? Like, and, and even myself, right? Like, so my primary job is a faculty member, right? Like I teach at the, at the university. So I would say that, and then I would say, oh, and I do the, the podcasting stuff on the side and I make content on the side. Do you have that? Like, would you say like, this is my primary position? I'm curious. I'm just trying to learn about you. Well, I usually say that I'm a journalist and in the past few few years, I've also said that I'm a potter in that I make and sell things. It's not just a hobby. And then depending on the situation, I might say that I make podcasts because I mean, there have been years where I've made three or four podcasts sort of parallel to each other where I feel like it's very much a part of of what I do. But it's not it's not something that I would say like it's it's in my my Twitter bio. And I think some other places it's also in my bio just because like it's a thing I do. It's a thing I care about. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't necessarily say that it's one of my identifiers in a situation where people usually want to know what you do do in the sense of what how do you make your money yeah yeah well and the, and the funny thing about it is it's not like that's not what it's all about but it, i'm i'm thinking back to the conversations you know gray and and different people will have on online and they're like you know people ask me what i do and it's really weird when i tell them like i make youtube videos and they're like oh really huh interesting but at the same time what i know like what people you know, who create content and put it out there and it's valuable. Like it has such an impact on, you know, like my week and my day. And like, I look forward to that thing and I get a lot of uh, entertainment and engagement and knowledge out of that, that it's just interesting to hear how people talk about it. That was, that was my point. That's why, that's why I dug into that more. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the term content creator or digital content creator, which I think, you know, started to become a thing maybe even just five or six years ago was like something that people started calling themselves instead of YouTuber or something Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to also show that like it is actual content and it is, there's a lot of complexity there. And, you know, I could see myself as a content creator because I create a lot of things that go online, but because large parts of it are through kind of established traditional media outlets, Uh, I I I wouldn't think of myself like that, even though again, lots of it, will go both in print and digital and some of it is just digital. I think it's also that that people don't still don't take the internet seriously. Like I think <laughs> it's it's only been like two or three years where you could say that you met someone through online dating and it not be weird, you know, yeah, before that people yeah. people would like I, I mean I met my husband on IRC chat. So I I'm old and weird and geeky. Uh but, but um you know there's there's also the sense I think that as a journalist making podcasts and having a blog, I think people see that as something more quote unquote serious. And they're like, well, it's part of part of the whole sort of journalistic thing. Right. And I mean, also like, you know, I, I blogged a lot about, um, sort of, uh, society's views on bodies and weight and health and, and self-image and all that stuff. And that a, or rather I should say B, was part of how I got my first book deal and A, helped a lot of people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because talking about like the things that you make online, you know, I would get all these comments and emails where people are like, I didn't know this thing about whatever it might be, you know, um, BMI or hormone levels or all these different kinds of things. And I would get emails from people who are like, I, you know, I, I, I didn't weigh myself this morning for the first time in ages and I had a good day and I ate a mm-hmm, good breakfast and mm-hmm. But it's, it's funny still, like with, with the book, it felt more serious to a lot of people. I think I was like, you know, I, I had to do a lot more work and I had to do, you know, the, I had a very long index. I tried to always be good about linking on my blog, but I had to, I joked that my editor would have made me cite a source if I'd said that a meter is a hundred centimeters because she was just like, <laughs> this is important. But, you know, people take that more seriously. And it's, you know, my book, my book sold well in Sweden, which is about like five or 6,000 copies. But, you know, I had hundreds of thousands of, of impressions on my blog, but the book still like has more cred, has a weight, no pun intended, uh, you know, and, and I, I think it's really interesting the way that we still think, we, we still, a lot of people crave the approval of the traditional structures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some of it, you know, is about payment, but I mean, you don't get rich writing books, you definitely make a lot more money being a really, really big YouTuber, but you still will feel excited about a book deal and people will take that writing more seriously, even though fewer people will see it, fewer people 
will interact with it. Yeah, that's that's so interesting, right? Because even anecdotally, like you look across Twitter and you, you see follower counts, right? Or you look on Instagram, you see follower counts. And it's like, I feel like there's a definitely a trend in certain areas. And I can't say it's it's true everywhere and it's definitely anecdotal. But if they have a book in their byline... In general, they're going to have more followers unless they are one of those big name YouTubers, Instagrammers, those people, Mm -hmm. sure, like they skyrocket, they go up, they're an anomaly 1%, you know, but then there's a discrepancy of like the people who've written a book and the people who haven't written a book. And I wonder how much it has to do with just the fact that you can say like, hey, I've, I've got an author line on a, on a book. Yeah, I've got, I've got an ISBN. And, and yeah, I think it's, it's kind of like the physical blue check mark, you know, (laughs) because it shows that you've been, you know, verified bona bona fides from a a traditional established old institution, which is both makes sense and is, is very weird. You know, like someone who has, who has a big blog or a big YouTube channel, if they are offered the chance to write the same thing as a column for whatever, you know, newspaper or magazine, it's, possible and likely that they would make more money writing or saying that thing on their own blog or uh, YouTube just through ads. And they would probably also, in some cases, have more eyes on it. But it still feels sort of cooler and more like you've arrived if you're given a column somewhere. Well, and and there's and there's definitely truth to that. Like so in my world, right? Um, if if I'm in the research world, which I'm not anymore, I, I'm at a teaching first focus institution, but it's like if I'm in the research world, there's almost a look down upon if you write like a popular book, right? Like, like so let's say somebody takes their incredible, you know, research and they write a popular book about it because they want to get it to everyone other than the 20 people who read that journal. You know what I mean? Like, cause that, I mean, let's be real about it. When you publish in the big academic journals, nobody reads those except for the people who are actually also trying to publish in those academic journals. Yeah. And what, what happens is that uh, journalists write digital only articles based on someone else's condensation of the, the abstract for yes. the article and everything gets lost in there. It's just, it, and it's funny because I feel like with this is kind of a side note, but you know, there's that thing they talk about if you can't, if you can't explain your research to a five year old, you haven't understood it. But I feel like a lot of the times it's like, well, if you can, if you can explain it to the public, then it can't be good or deep because if it was good or deep, they wouldn't understand it. Mm. Which is mm-hmm. is kind of weird. Like this, the sense of because I think that. I think you talk about the, what is it, the the third task or the third objective of academia is to educate the public, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But no, but that, that's <laughs> like that's been been part of been part of, and I, I I say this as the the child of academics and a failed academic myself, but you know I that's that's been part of what I've loved doing as a journalist, regardless of if it's you know blogging, podcasting, or yeah, yeah. more traditional media is. Giving people access to things, helping people understand, regardless of if it's stuff that took a lot of research and they wouldn't have uh, figured it out, or if it's just like explaining, you know, tech things or gadgets or movies to people who either hadn't thought of it that way or haven't been explained it in a way that they might understand. And sometimes it's, you know, journalists talking about journalism to other journalists, which is also fine, but... I, I like stories. I like sharing people's stories yeah, to other too. people. Me too. And and I like even if that story is not a person's story, but is the story of a you know this is how this doohickey works or this weird process in history. And a lot of you know content creators online are amazing at that. You learn so much about whether it be trivia or or murders or something in history or I don't know. Uh, linguistics or or technology, and it's accessible in in different ways. And for better or for worse, a lot of the time it's because people don't have the onus on them to be profitable right away, the mm-hmm. way I think mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. things have to be. So you can find the way that you want to do things, which is usually the way things end up best. But that does also mean that a lot of people have to work a lot for free, which is problematic, I think, because it takes a lot of time to do things well. So, so this is a really interesting point and it ties back into something you talked about a little bit ago, but this idea of like things are driven from value, right? Like, so 
yes, there is the, it would be really cool if I put this out there and people like it and they tell me that they like it and it gets popular and those type of things. Sure. But what I've learned, I think from talking to folks like you and and the other folks that I've talked to on the show is, I mean, so many folks, it's about, I'm doing this cool thing and I want to tell people about it. Or I learned this cool thing and I want to tell people about it. And then, oh, by the way, enough people, and this is where I'm getting, I'm tying back in, enough people turned around and told you like, hey, what you're doing is really cool. What you're doing is really valuable. We would like to start giving you, like supporting you, right? Money, sharing it, like whatever it is. And it's like, it's really interesting to see the way a lot of them didn't start from, we're going to make a billion dollars. It's we're, it's, we're going to provide this really cool value. And then it turns into like, huh, I might be able to quit my job and do this thing full time. And it's like, it's really, it's really neat to see that. And I think it's, it's kind of interesting that parallel with, you know, paywalls that people complain about, people are also way more prone to give people money for things that they're doing that they like, you know, even giving like Patreon or, or Kofi's or whatever it is, just because like not with a specific, you know, payback for it, yeah, which I think yeah. is really interesting that that you see and part of that is that the structure is there, you know, of, of PayPal or Patreon or whatever. But for a long time, the currency was shares and likes and comments. Yeah, yeah. And that's also, I think, part of what made a lot of different blogging platforms and blogging structures die down is that people were tweeting about articles or blog posts and weren't commenting on them. And seeing a blog post with like two or three comments on it is kind of discouraging for the writer (laughs) and seems like there's not much interaction to an audience that doesn't see, you know, a a click-through number. Yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that either. All right. So, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to push us forward here to, to make do, right? (laughs) To the actual thing we're here for. (laughs) Well, no, no, no. This is great. Like this is the way I want this to go is because that was a very, very interesting you know, conversation. So that's the way I want this to go. But like, get me from, I'm going to go from writing, you know, the journalistic style of putting things on the internet to I'm going to launch into this podcast and I'm going to try to start talking to the internet. Yeah. So I, I already knew that I liked audio. I mean, not just because I like to listen to the radio, but because I'd started to listen to a few podcasts, not that many, but also because I'd guessed it on actual like Swedish public radio shows. And I really like that. And then a friend suggested that he and I and a third friend uh, should start a podcast and talk about sort of power structures, meaning, you know, like gender, class, uh, ethnicities online on the internet, because we were all, you know, sort of chronically online. And I came up with the name in Swedish, it's Maktministeriet, which is like the Ministry of Power, but power as in having power, not Mm -hmm. as in electricity. Mm-hmm, so it's like mm-hmm. just like a, a fun word. And so we started that in 2012, which is, you know, kind of early in in the podcast game, uh, both I think in Sweden and internationally. So that's 10 years ago. I think we did that show for like two and a half years or something. Wow. And, you know, we talked about all these different things and we got some some attention, which was kind of cool, like in both, you know, press, like um what do you call it? Like in the business press, like journalism papers were writing about it, but also media outlets. Well, like the meta outlets, but also in regular newspapers, the trade press, I was, was the word I was thinking of. So that was, that was a lot of fun. And it kind of wound down because we started feeling that like, okay, I think we've obviously the, the topic isn't over, but we had explored a lot of the things that we wanted to talk about. So I think it was, 2013, 2014 uh, was when I started the knitting podcast. And again, it's funny because we started it, we were friends who knitted and we're like, we want to talk about this. Podcasts are fun. Let's do it. It was actually somebody joked like, hey, we because we were hanging out knitting. Someone was like, we should start a podcast. And <laughs> that is how they learned that you should never throw out an idea around me because it will happen before you quite know what was what, you know what's going on. So we started that and it kind of became like the biggest knitting podcast in in Sweden, which was a lot of fun and we again like it's weird we did interviews and things and we were just okay, like I you know to, I have to I have to stop you. I have to stop you. So I think knitting, right? I've had students do projects on knitting. And mm-hmm. she you know she's she's shown me knitting, she's shown me stitches or you know like patterns and things like that and that's great. It's just and, ones and zeros. Well, hold on, hold <laughs> on. And I 
could not understand this for the life of me, even though she's right in front of me, she's doing it. And I'm like, okay, what are you doing again? And then she tried to teach it to us, right? As part of a project. And I was like, I'm totally lost. So I can't even fathom doing that or something like that on the internet. Cause were you, were you talking about patterns or were you talking about like the industry? Like what, what were you talking about? Well, I think it's like any hobby podcast, uh, probably, because uh, there are a lot of those. You know, we talked about what we were knitting. We talked about – we joked that we were like the cranky intellectual option <laughs> in, in knitting podcasts because we also talked, you know, stuff about like feminism and history and and that kind of thing or things that were going on, conversations that were happening within the knitosphere. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. When, when you know, there were reckonings with, say, racism um, – and discussions of class, but also just like talking about what our favorite kinds of wool were, things that were, you know, just both both very sort of practical and more kind of esoteric uh, and political and historic and, and that kind of thing. So there were all sorts of topics. And again, I got another book deal out of this podcast, which was in no way the, the plan, but, you know, several years a couple of years after that, I pitched it to a publisher who liked it. So I wrote a book about knitting that also had like, you know, personal frustrations and discussions of uh, that kind of thing, but also talked about the history of of crafts and making within a context of history and feminism and, you know, different parts of the world and and that kind of thing. And also the fact that I can't consistently count to four more than once, apparently. <laughs> Um, so it was fun because it was, again, that like sort of recognition and, and pe- people seeing themselves in it, which I thought was was a lot of fun. And parallel to this, I also made with a number of friends. And I will say making a podcast with – because both of those podcasts had five members, including me. Oh, Because wow. I started a podcast about romance novels because we wanted to just be like, this is – uh, a very sort of berated genre and we we like reading them and we want to take them seriously both because they deserve it and to thumb our noses at the sort of structures of of you know the, the way we look at culture so having five members it's easier because you if if as long as you all agree that you don't have to be all five at once it's can be easier to plan because the odds are better that you'll get three people together if there are five people to choose from but there's also a lot more logistics trying to plan. So there were a lot of, of fun challenges there. And, you know, all of this was just friends being like, hey, podcasts are a thing. We like talking about things. We should try it. And I feel very little guilt about that because this was all my lady friends. So it wasn't just like two white dudes talking about their cell phones brought to you by HelloFresh or mattresses, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so the, the whole like, well, you know, the things we talk about are super interesting. We should put them online. <laughs> um, parallel to all this, I'm also, you know, having to work to make actual money. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I started an interview podcast with also a stupid pun name in Swedish that I'm not even going to try to to translate, where I wanted to talk to people about something that they – like their sort of long-term rabbit holes. And, uh, you know, some of these people were celebrities and some uh, in, in Sweden – uh, and I wanted to talk to them about things that weren't the thing that they were, you know, famous for. Not to be like, well, you write about this thing a lot, but to be like, okay, so you are super into North Korea. Why is that? Or, you know, you you love uh, bugs. You're a tattoo artist and you love bugs. Tell me about bugs. And that was a lot of fun, but it was a lot of work because that was just me. So there was all the scheduling and the recording and the editing. And I've been kind of sort of the project manager and the editor for all of these podcasts, which is you know, I, I like having control. And also, in most cases, I was the one with the experience to do so from, you know, being a journalist and knowing how to edit. But that it takes a lot. I don't know if you know this, but <laughs> editing takes time. <laughs> yeah, it does. You know, it, The thing that gets me, scheduling takes time, right? Like to get people mm-hmm. to agree and then to coordinate a time actually takes way more time than I want it to. Absolutely. And because at initially I was publishing that podcast every week. And then I went to every other week and then- Bless you. Right? Uh, So I tried to have like a backlog before I started releasing them, but it was just like, it it wasn't possible because it was so much work. And at the time, not a lot of, um, I didn't get a lot out of it in the sense that because it was much more general podcast, because that's the thing, kind of like with, with, 
working in Sweden versus the the English speaking market, knitting is a small niche, but you're going to reach basically all of the people who love knitting, which <laughs> yeah. is yeah. a large niche, right? And the same with with um, romance novels. You know, you don't, you don't, you're not going to reach everyone who cares about literature, but you're going to definitely, you know, be recommended, you know, word of mouth to a lot of people who love that kind of stuff and who maybe, you know, like trashy pop culture in general, even if they don't read those specific books. And again, there, we got to do so much fun stuff. We did, a, we got to do a live show at the biggest um, sort of public national library in Stockholm. We were a recommendation in the Lardist morning newspaper. And it was just like, it's it's fun because it's easier to get picked up on in a niche because both people think it's fun that it's a niche and you're going to reach the people who are passionate. But just an interview podcast is way harder to promote and find listeners for. So I dropped that after about a year-ish, year and a half. That's, that's interesting because I don't know if I'd have thought that, but maybe that's why the focus on Relay, right? Like in the focus on podcasters, I didn't necessarily start it out that way. I started out as more general interview people who make content for the internet, but it almost like naturally flowed into like, you have to narrow this down. It's too big. It's too crazy. And maybe that's why. That's interesting. That's a really good point. And also to be kind of, you know, cynical about it, podcasters, I think, just think about karma. So they're just like, yes, I will come on your show because they know how much of a hassle it is to try to do the scheduling and the booking. <laughs> so and you, YouTubers don't care. YouTubers are just like, I'm never going to respond to you. Just you may as well yell into the ether for the rest of your life. <laughs> and and also podcasters have good recording equipment so that their end of the recording will sound good. Yes, I, I dodged a bullet on that one. That's for sure. Now we're up to sort of 2018 or 2017, as it were. I'd been thinking about, you know, what would I want to make as an English language podcast? And I wanted to have it be about, you know, creative work. And um, I was trying to think of different models that I could do that. And I had met Mike from Relay at the Atlanta Pen Show Mm, a couple of years before that. And so we had talked about like, would this be something that you would be interested in? He was like, "Mm, I don't know, send me a pitch. Because it wasn't like totally clear that that it like would fit into the the relay umbrella or basket or however you want to think about it. I'm with you. But at the same time, you know, they were talking about doing more of the kind of general nerdy thing and not just tech nerdy thing. So I had been thinking about how I could do it. And then because I had also met Tiff Arment at that first pen show that I went to. And, you know, we were sort of online friends. And I was thinking because she had just rented an, a, a studio space to paint and sort of focus on that. And so I messaged her and, you know, kind of quaking in my boots because I was like, this is going to sound so stupid. <laughs> but I messaged her and I was like, so I've been thinking about this and I've I've really loved following you as you've been you know, trying to actively be serious about your your art and your making, is this something that you would be interested in? And without me knowing it, she was also at that same time starting up uh, a podcast with Stephen Hackett about The Office. So she was just like in, in the starting of making a lot of stuff. Um, but so, and we decided to go indie first just to see like, is this something that we can do that we can hold up the quality that we can, you know, that that we're not just offering something kind of blind or a sight unseen to relay. So we did about half a year, I want to say, on our own, and then we got to slide into to relay, which has been it's been so much fun, you know, because you you get uh, this more concentrated form of of community. I mean, even just like it's easier to get guests on your shows from people that you like and think are fun. But it's it's funny because like being on a network, it's kind of like getting a book deal or <laughs> yeah, yeah. a column thing, which is which is kind of funny because it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll make tons of money because you would still have to sell ads that would work on your show and you still need numbers and that kind of thing. But it's it's nice to have that community because it is kind of a check mark too, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. And you can get really big without a network, 
but most people will slide on into a network at some point. And sometimes that's just like you you want to outsource the editing or you don't, you're tired of selling ads or whatever it might be. But here it was also just like, a, we, we want to work with Mike and Steven and all the other people at, at Relay. And fortunately, they wanted to, they wanted to work with us. And then I started Chick Flick Fix because apparently the romance novel podcast had kind of started to peter out after a couple of years. I ended the interview podcast. The knitting podcast was more intermittent. And I uh, I have my master's degree in film studies and my focus was romantic comedies because, again, can, I think I it's fun you, to- Can I pause you again? Yes. Sorry. Yes. So, no, no, no. This is, this is good because I, but I, I want to hit this before we go too far. So you've you've now closed down or retired or whatever word you want to say a couple different projects, right? A couple of different mm-hmm. of these creative projects. How did you know it was time? Like, how did you go? Like, yes, this in this one is gone. It's it's been fun, but get out of here. Kind of different ways. Like you know, when when you're when you have projects with other people, sometimes it just peters out. Or like you keep trying to schedule and nothing happens, and it's just kind of like this unspoken agreement that this is just, you know, yeah. the a, a very, very long sort of permanent pause. Or with my own projects, it's it's often been just like this isn't this isn't feasible right now. And sometimes it's I mean it's it can also be that you're just so exhausted and it's just it's not working. Like it's not even a, a choice. It's just like you you have to stop because, you know, everything else is going on in your life as well. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for that. Diver- <laughs> thanks for that diversion. Okay. So now we're back to, and you, and say it again. Well, I, I mean, we'll say also just like talking to the internet when you stop blogging, I think with a lot of things that are your own projects, a lot of things will peter out. And it's, I think it's also that it's kind of the same of, of, you know, the longer you don't respond to an email, the harder it gets to respond to it. <laughs> and I think it's kind of the same with, you know, a blog or a podcast that the longer you're away, especially if you don't want to go like, hey guys, sorry, I've been gone so long. It, it can kind of sort of peter itself out, which is I think is like for better or for worse. And I mean, some people are still like, well, you know, what happened with that? Is there going to be more? And because, you know, anything can happen. It's easy to be like, I don't know. So yeah, okay, okay. So say that. Say the name of the next one again. Chick flick fix. You're so good at it. Say it again. Chick flick fix. Yeah, I tried. I tried so hard when I was thinking about the intro. I was like, oh, okay, I'm just gonna say this really slow and just own it. <laughs> so okay. So now we're at chick flick fix. I mean, I say it a lot. I've, I know, I've practiced. I know. <laughs> so yes, I I have I have my master's degree in romantic comedies because again, like I like looking into the things that a not a lot of people are looking into because they're not taken seriously and b because they're not taken seriously um because they're sort of a, a minority for, form of culture whether it be because the audience is female or because the the audience is you know bipoc or queer people or whatever the things that are not taken seriously I want to take seriously I thought about you know different formats about this and I talked to my friend AJ from high school because he he has a PhD in theater. He's funny. And I kind of like the idea, A, just in, I've, I've said A and B a lot in this conversation. But <laughs> firstly, I, I really like the idea of having a male and female co-host of a podcast because that feels very, very rare. Uh-huh. Like I feel like most podcasts with two hosts tend to be yeah. – uh, not co-ed. <laughs> I, I agree. Uh, yeah. And also I like the idea of having specifically a man on a podcast about romantic comedies because just to be like this isn't this isn't a lady thing necessarily. And you know, sometimes that means that there can be a, a whole, you know, clutch of movies that AJ hasn't seen because he wasn't a girl in the early 2000s. <laughs> yep, yep. But also, you know, a lot of people see romantic comedies. So we try to make romantic comedies better and then we try to sort of break them and make them weird like what what would happen if and that's on on the incomparable and we've been doing it since may of 2020 so we're coming up on two years which i've heard that most podcasts i mean most podcasts don't make it past like five episodes or something but like most podcasts don't make it past a year and or 50 episodes depending on which comes first because it is a lot of work um so I felt really like proud when we when we hit that. Um, especially, I think I'm 
more proud that we kept going after the world opened back up because, you know, it's really easy to make a podcast when you can't go anywhere and you can't do yeah. anything and you're stuck in your house. So I'm proud that we kept going past that. But it's it's been, you know, having having both Make Do and Chick Flick Fix has been a really lovely, you know, respite for my brain and my feelings because I, I got COVID in March of 2020 and I was really, really sick for several months. And mm-hmm. then I got long COVID, which is, you know, still ongoing and it's gotten much better. But in that first, you know, six, 10, 12 months, I just, I couldn't really do anything. So that was mm. the time when I sat at my computer and I got overheated from using my brain to talk about my feelings about art or movies, but getting to talk to someone and yeah. getting to talk to someone about something that was not COVID. <laughs> yeah. Because seriously, yeah. like I, I, you know, I didn't really see people and nobody really did, but all the people that I talked to were like all anybody ever talks about. And it was, the, I mean, it was the same. We talked about it before recording as well. And I chatted a lot with people, you know, th- through like Messenger or whatever. But it was all about, because what else would you talk about? It, it was weird to talk about anything else. And it was I so agree. nice to just be like, nope, now we're going to talk about, you know, Sleepless in Seattle. Let's go. Okay. So I, I have to ask you, because you're on, you're on both networks, mm-hmm. right? I won't ask you which one's better because I don't want to put you in that situation. <laughs> no, they're they're very different. What are the what are the what are the differences? Like so there there aren't a ton of people that are on both networks or at least that have their own show on both networks. Some people like dabble, but like you have your own show on both <laughs> networks. So what are what are the differences between the two? Um they use different publishing systems. <laughs> they host on different No. I think, mm-hmm. you know, Relay is a much smaller network and Again, like it's it's broader because it's about sort of tech and nerdiness, but it is more narrow because it is tech and that kind of nerd nerdiness a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And the incomparable is larger, and I don't want to say that like it's it's less structured because that's not it. But I think it's more free, maybe free. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and also it doesn't have the same structure with. Uh, with ad selling that that really does we don't do a lot of ads on on make on make two but um so that was kind of just like i wanted a community of other people who also make popular culture podcasts and you do get a little bit of like you know you're on the same network so you might get a mention in someone else's podcast or you guest on there and Mm -hmm. that wasn't necessarily it wasn't like i was like you know trying to be kind of mercenary or conniving about it, that's just a nice bonus. So I think, you know, Relay is is smaller and more, again, not more serious in like any kind of judgmental way, just like they're yeah. more, I think, what would be a word for single-minded that isn't single-minded? No, like structure, structured makes sense to me. Like fo- like they have a different focus. They have a very different mm-hmm. focus to the to this types of shows and you can see it in the way the shows go, yeah. Yeah, so you know, if, if if you have like different friend groups and one of them is more about like, you know, rock climbing and the other is about watching movies and um bad puns, maybe mm. kind of thing. Mm. Like one of them is more activity and like this is what we do. But relay is also a really fun place to be and real fun people to talk to and and meet up with when when that was a thing. Mm. So, you know, they're they're the same in some ways and and different in in some ways. I mean, having having community during COVID was wonderful, even if sometimes it was just about everybody was just like, you know, complaining and sad and angry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But having having a community that was just like sort of fixed because having tons of people on Facebook or Twitter, it's more like all over the place. But having like a Slack room or a Discord or whatever it might be where you're like, these are always the same people more or less was really nice. So we're we're running low. <laughs> I have one more question, and then we'll get and then we'll get to the to the unlightning round. Um, so, what would you say, out of all the talking to the internet you've done, right? Like through your journalistic activities, through your blogging, through actually talking to the internet you know, with your voice, what's your biggest highlight? Like, what's your one or two biggest highlights, biggest takeaways? I think it has to be the just like the interactions from the early early 2010s or even before that but the early 2000s of of blogging of you know comments and conversations and you know the emails that I would get where people said that something that I wrote made a difference to them mm-hmm. and 
sometimes, you know, it was just like they they really liked something I wrote and it, you know, made something glitter nicely in their brain. But also, you know, that they thought about themselves and the world differently and they felt better about themselves. And, you know, reaching one person might seem small, but reaching one person is that entire person's, mm. you know, life and reality. That's huge. Yeah. And I think it's it's easy to forget sometimes that, you know, when you're looking at how many people read or listen or view, that you could be like, wow, 100 people, that's nothing. And then you imagine 100 people in a room listening to you yep. attentively. That's huge, right? Yeah. So having one person pay attention and and like really making a difference to them that is you know that is very very cool it is i agree and and just you know like right now i'm i'm substitute teaching in a junior high school and you know it's it's that's the sort of very concrete version of that of being like i made a difference in, i mean not not every day and some days i just want to like no, throw erasers at the kids. But <laughs> yes. when you're like, I made I made someone's day a little bit better today. Or or the or the one you'll get where, you know, it's six months later, a year and a half later, and then you get this random email and it's like, mm-hmm. hey, this thing happened. That's the teacher equivalent of that comment that said Exactly. I, cu- I couldn't get out of bed and I read your thing and I said, Okay, I'm gonna try to get out of bed. You know what I mean? Exactly. And and we I think we take maybe the teacher version more seriously, which I think we should in, in a lot of ways, but not in all the ways. Because mm-hmm. if you read something online and you're like, even if it's just like I learned a really cool thing about this animal from this blog post. I I you know, I I know one more thing today than I did yesterday. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And I try to just tell people when I think they've done good things because rarely are people sad when you tell them that they did a good thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because, and again, like the karma thing, like I know how much it means to me when someone says like, I just like this thing. Or even even if it's just like, I like this stupid pun you made. And I'm like, yes. So it's like this bouncing back and forth of sort of happiness ping pong. Thank you so much. That was fantastic. It's time for the unlightning round. So the unlightning round is the round where I try to ask you questions and have you answer them really fast. And hopefully you're fast, but you probably won't be. So it's the unlightning round. <laughs> hey. And here we go. You are not, you're not unfair in saying and in, in, in suggesting very subtly that I talk a lot. I'm just, no, I'm just playing the averages. Nobody answers these questions quickly. They all like sit and stew on them. So here we go. Uh, what is your favorite thing to consume? On the internet right now, TikTok. What aspect of it though? Like, you gotta give me more. Uh, I like uh, TikToks about pets, and I like TikToks where people make things. And I prefer if they show the whole process in one TikTok, and it's not like a three-parter. Nice. Okay. Um, and right now, I'm right now I'm loving uh, Encanto TikTok. People reacting to the Disney movie because people uh, are just doing fun cosplays and fun edits and illustrations, and I think that's really fun. Awesome. People related really hard to. I did too. So. Yeah, yeah, that's a, it's a good movie. I like that movie a lot. Okay, so who is an up and coming content creator that we should all check out? That is a very good question. Um, I kind of just want to go TikTok, but that's not. Um, yep, can't do that. Can't do that. No, can't do that. Um, In this game that doesn't really have rules but kind of has rules, you can't do that. Right. Well, the thing is, I think it's hard because especially with, you know, the way the internet works and the algorithm, the people that are up and coming won't necessarily reach me before they reach you too. (laughs) Um, So I don't know. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. All right, do you want to move on? I'm not that I'm not that cool. I'm not I'm not a hipster. Okay. All right, we'll move on. So number <laughs> 3. Uh you're the first human or sorry, you're on the first human mission to Mars. Okay. You're only allowed to take one thing to either read, listen to or watch during the trip and while you're there. Now, this one thing can be like the entire series or the entire collection of books, right? Like it can be the whole package. What is the thing that you're taking? The collected works of Diana Wynne Jones. Okay, so inform me because I don't know anything about this. Diana Wynne Jones uh, was a fantasy writer and she wrote a ton of amazing books. She writes beautifully. She writes very sort of, um, it hits you emotionally. Even like the, the books are sometimes what you would now call YA 
or even slightly younger mm-hmm. than that. And some are maybe young adults or regular fiction, but they're just these beautiful stories. And some of them are within a series and some of them are freestanding. But she's just, she's one of my favorite writers and she's someone that I know I could read over and over again because I've read most of her books like four or five times. <laughs> nice. um, I was going to yeah. say the collected works of Terry Pratchett, but I think you need a breather between rereadings of, Harry, of, of Terry Pratchett and I don't think you do with Diana Wynne Jones. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So number four, this is the last question, right? This is the the hardest question that you'll have. If I'm coming to Stockholm, mm-hmm. what are you going to tell me that I must do before I leave? Uh the Vasa Museum. Uh it's mm-hmm. a a battleship from the I want to say 16th century. Uh, that it was built super huge and it wasn't built deep enough in the water. So it sank on its maiden voyage. It didn't even make it out of port. Um, people died. It was sad. It was a huge, embarrassing disaster. And in the mid 1900s, they managed to dig it up. And because the, the bottom of the port was sort of acidic enough in its silt, almost all of it was in perfect condition. So they dug it up, put parts of it back together. Most of it was stuck together already. And they built a giant museum building around it. You can see the masts sticking up through the the roof of the museum. And uh, both, it's super interesting. Like historically, it's very, very good museum building. And also I love that we have a giant museum to one of our giant failures. Yes. I just think that's cool. That is cool. That is cool. Julia, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. Um, If people want to find out more about you, if they want to listen to what you're doing or read your writing or whatever it is, uh, where can they find out more? On Twitter, I'm Julia Scott, S-K-O-T-T. I love when Tiff says that at the end of of every Make Do episode. Uh, And juliascott.com. Um, you can usually find links to most of the things I do. I should probably update some of that. But Twitter, you can probably find links to all the other things I do. Um, and you can message me there if you're wondering what it is I do. Fantastic. Uh, thank you all for listening to the show. Um, this has been Talking to the Internet. So if you want to find out more about the show, you can go to talkingtotheinternet.com or at TTTI Podcast. Uh, thanks again. We'll see you next time. And thanks for learning with us. Mm-hmm.